Welcome back to From the Front Row, brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. I'm Ian Bukta. And I'm Emma Metter, in for Oge Chibo. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're a student-run podcast that tackles issues in public health. Hey Ian, what are we talking about today? Well, recently, news sources have been noting outbreaks of COVID-19 among agricultural workers, like in meatpacking factories. Iowa has a substantial number of migrant workers, so we wanted to talk about it here on this podcast. For those of you who might not know, a migrant worker is a person who moves to another country or area in order to find employment, in particular seasonal or temporary work. These workers help feed our country. In a lot of ways, they provide the workforce that makes sure that food gets from the farm and then prepared and to the table. And this was an episode that we had been thinking about making for quite a while now. Um, and it just so happened that we are making it in the middle of a pandemic. And so we're going to talk about the times prior to the pandemic. And we're also going to think about what's happened since this virus has descended across our country. So we sat down with Brianna Reha Klinsky from Proteus, an organization that provides job training, healthcare, and assistance to those who work in agriculture in Iowa, Nebraska, and Indiana. The interview field. The interview focused on migrant health before and after the start of the pandemic. All right, here's our interview with Brianna Reha Klinsky. So my name is Brianna Reha Klinsky and I work with Proteus. We're a federally qualified healthcare center, community healthcare center um, funded by HRSA, which is the Health Resources and Service Administration, um, which funds all community health centers across the country. Um, we have offices all over the state of Iowa in Fort Dodge, Iowa City, and Des Moines, and I work out of the Iowa City office. Um, Proteus serves migrant and seasonal farm workers in various ways. We do tuition assistance, job training, um, but the program that I work in is the migrant health program. So we hold mobile clinics around the state, um, usually staffed by me, a few interns, and our providers who are usually PAs, NPs. Um, we've had a few MDs in my tenure. Um, yeah, my name or my title is um, healthcare manager, which kind of covers a lot of things. I'm sort of like the clinic manager and scheduler. I'm like an MA of sorts, um, a case manager, patient navigator, interpreter. <laughs> um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff. Well, thank you for sharing all that you do. And um, we'll get even more into what uh, all the functions of uh, Proteus are. But one, one question we want to start quite general is, what do migrant workers do and how do they fit into food production? Yeah, absolutely. So I can speak mostly to Iowa's farm workers since that is what I'm most familiar with. Um, so there's a few types of work being done around here. There's crop labor, um, people working with livestock. There's also meat, meat packing. Um, to be clear, Proteus does not work with meat packers. Um, while they often are migrant workers, they are not considered agricultural workers. Um, unless they work with live animals. So that is where the line is drawn in the language of our grant. So I had to make that clear. But um, it's true that sometimes people who work, we have patients who like work at a meatpacking plant in part of the year, and then in the summer they'll go work on a farm doing crop labor. That is how those people qualify. So we do still have um, patients who work in that setting as well. Otherwise, there are people who are doing like crop labor, you know, they're um, detasseling corn, um, people who sort seeds for research, working with livestock, 
Um, we have patients who work on both large scale and small scale farms. Perfect. So expanding off that a little bit, how do migrant agriculture workers affect everyone in the country? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously everyone eats, right? <laughs> so three quarters of the agricultural labor force are immigrants. Um, so the overwhelming majority of our national food supply comes from migrant labor, um, like fruits, vegetables, wine, like a lot of that comes from California farms, which are run by migrant workers. Um, but right here in Iowa, you know, we lead the country in corn and soy production. And I mean, corn and soy are in everything, you know, any bread that you can buy at the supermarket, almost any um, processed food has some product of one of those two crops. Um, yeah. But I mean, even if you only eat food that you grew yourself, like, do you drive a car? Because um, at this point, almost all gasoline is produced with ethanol, which is a product of corn. Um, so yeah, I don't know, maybe you grow your own food and you drive a Tesla or something, but pretty much everyone is affected by migrant labor. Yeah, you know, I think that you bring up a really important point about how many people are involved in the system, but I imagine that there are quite a few challenges that they face. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, definitely. Um, so roughly 50% of the agricultural labor force is undocumented or um, they don't have authorization to work. So about 50% of our migrant workers are already dealing with some sort of immigration um, challenge. You know, they might be working on getting a work visa or working on getting a um, refugee type visa, um, or they might just be kind of laying low and dealing with the stresses of that as well. Um, a lot of farm workers make pretty low wages. Um, and so access to healthcare is a whole issue. You know, I mean, if you're undocumented or even if you are a, you have authorization to work, but you're not like a legal citizen, you have almost no access to health insurance. So undocumented workers do not qualify for any type of public assistance. Um, H-2A workers, which is a type of agricultural, like short-term agricultural visa, they also don't qualify for public health insurance. However, they could purchase um, private health insurance off the marketplace if they choose to, but with their low wages, you know, oftentimes people just opt to not have health insurance for the entirety of their stay here. So yeah, access to health care is, is a really big issue that we see. Um, also, even if they do you know, are willing to pay for a visit to go see the doctor, they might not have a car or they have really long works hours and it's hard to get time off work to go see the doctor um, when most offices close at like five o'clock. So, um, and you know, like something like 80% of workers are most comfortable speaking Spanish. So language barrier is a huge thing for them. Um, um, so I imagine that people often have like chronic conditions. Um, what do they, if they can't get to a doctor, what do they do about like medicine? Absolutely. So, I mean, we have found that um, migrant workers have higher rates of chronic metabolic conditions, especially diabetes. Um, hypertension and cholesterol are problems that we deal with every day as well. But diabetes is a really 
big one. And part of that, you know, has to do with food deserts. Part of it has to do with food or health literacy. Um, it's, it's really interesting because they, you know, if they can't access a doctor while they're going to be in their new home for like three or four months, sometimes they will bring medicine with them. Um, in Mexico, I think a lot of first line diabetic medications are over the counter. So a lot of people can just purchase those in Mexico and then bring them up for the entirety of their stay, you know, but if they're on insulin, they don't have access to a refrigerator all the time. Um, and so that's a big challenge. There are other people who just won't bring their meds. Um, they might just choose to go the couple of months that they're here without their medication and whether they realize the risk that they're taking, you know, kind of differs based on the patient. Um, yeah, there are organizations that do a really good job in trying to fill that gap. The Migrant Clinicians Network is a our organization that also receives funding from HRSA, and they work to um, connect migrant workers to a new um, low-cost healthcare center in their new home. Um, so we'll refer people who are leaving Iowa to that organization. They take all of their medical records and transport their care somewhere else. So seeing that there are numerous challenges that these migrant workers face, how does your organization, Proteus, <clears throat> and others like it meet the needs of this vital group of people during normal times? Yeah, so during normal times, um, we'll hold our clinics in rural locations um, in the evening hours. So we go where and when it's convenient to the workers. So they don't have to take time off work. Um, most of our clinics are held like in laundry rooms or in the cafeteria of where the workers live, um, sometimes in like a YMCA community center. And we just set up our mobile clinic with our screens and our mobile point of care testing devices and we'll stay there until 10 o'clock sometimes at night and the patients will come to us and we'll um we'll conduct our primary care visits um, we also don't really work with medical insurance um, we have some capability to do that but most of our patients are uninsured and so we operate on a sliding fee scale um, payment system so Visits are between like five and $25 and medication is like up to $10. And a lot of times, you know, people say that they, they can't even afford that, which is totally fine. We kind of just write it off. Um, in addition to that, all of our staff is bilingual in Spanish. Um, so that's not usually a barrier for our patients since most of them are Spanish speakers. Um, we also have like care managers, case managers sort of, which is part of what I do. Um, when we refer people out um, for care that we can't do in-house, um, our staff will schedule the appointment for them. We will drive the patient to the appointment, we'll interpret for them, um, do whatever we can to make sure that they get the care that they need. Wow, sounds like you all are doing a lot in normal circumstances, <laughs> and these are not normal. So speaking of those um, not normal circumstances, of course, we're talking about the pandemic. And, you know, I think that in a lot of people's minds, they've been thinking a lot about migrant workers, specifically because they've been hearing about the ones who have become ill in meatpacking plants. But there's not they're not the only ones who are being affected by the coronavirus pandemic. So can you talk about how the reality for migrant workers has changed since the start of this global pandemic? Yeah. Um, so one 
one tiny piece of that is that I read recently that the State Department is um, scaling back on the allowed H-2A visas, which are those agricultural visas I mentioned earlier. Um, I think they said that they would allow only returning um, workers from Mexico, and they would not allow new applicants from Mexico, um, and they would allow some applicants from other Central American countries. So, and that's like 50% of the H-2A workforce. And although H-2A workers um, don't make up the majority of the entire agricultural labor force in the United States, it is a growing part of um, the people who are staffing, you know, these farms. And so, yeah, I mean, that there's going to be labor shortages all over. Already, we can, people that, um, like, farms that we work with are telling me that they think they're going to apply for 60 workers, but they might only get 40 or something like that. And so they're, they're voicing concerns and uncertainties about what the future will bring. Um, but other than that, I mean, you know, before COVID, like I said, so many migrant workers were already dealing with, you know, they were going into work with a lot of caution because, you know, they might have fears of immigration or not want to upset their employer um, because the repercussions could be um, losing your job, which is already, you know, hard to find. Um, but now everyone goes to work with a lot of caution. I mean, people are worried for their own health. They're worried for the health of their families. Um, I've I do know of some people who have quit their jobs because the risk is just too great for them. Um, and financially they're, they're struggling because of that. Um, I mean, there are employers that are doing the best that they can to improve the working conditions or rather to, to make sure that the working conditions are as safe as possible. But I mean, there are still so many like inherent risks with that. A lot of migrant workers live in congregate housing. So you, are at risk there, you know, once one person contracts COVID, you know, the, it could spread like wildfire to 50 people immediately. You know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us have realized recently that it's kind of hard to breathe while wearing a mask. Um, can you imagine working, you know, in the fields, long hours under the brutal summer sun mm -hmm. wearing a mask? <laughs> like that's just going to be the reality for so many of our migrant workers this summer. Yeah. So, just, just one follow up on that. I actually spent the more uh, last e afternoon this morning, uh, and I should note it was about fifty degrees today, so not not too bad weather. Um, but helping one of my friends who has a small farm, doing do some of the work, and it was really bad. And the work we were doing wasn't that bad in the hours uh, that long. And wearing a mask during all of that was really really rough. I mean, it's hard to, when I'm in clinic wearing a mask, even to just speak sometimes, you're, you know, breathing really heavy just to get a sentence out and to try and communicate. Yeah, I... So seeing all the risks and the challenges that these migrant workers have to face, how has Proteus shifted to support these migrant workers since the beginning of this pandemic? Yeah, so we have um, kind of shifted our model to prioritize telehealth. Um, we previously weren't doing any telehealth, but now, you know, I mean, I think a lot of clinics and a lot of medical offices around the world have um, shifted so suddenly to telehealth. Um, so like, like I was mentioning before we started recording, you know, we're, we're constantly adjusting to 
um, that new model. And every day we're trying to figure out the best way to do it. But right now, the system that we've sort of settled on is those people who need to be seen or need to talk to the doctor or are due for a follow-up on their diabetes or whatever will call our office. We'll schedule them for a telehealth visit. Um, and then they'll speak to the provider. And if the provider decides that an in-person visit is going to be necessary, then we schedule that visit on a day in the future. Um, and during those visits, we'll draw labs, we'll deliver meds, sometimes we'll deliver food. Um, last week, we had a really interesting a really interesting day. Um, so on Monday, we saw about 20 people on the phone, saw on the phone, um, and did their visits. And of those 20 people, I think there were like 10 that needed some in-person follow-up care, whether it was delivering meds, drawing blood, whatever. Um, and all of these people lived in little towns around Northeast Iowa. And so on Friday, we, me, the provider, and another community advocate who is kind of helping us understand and navigate all of this in the medical sense, the three of us got into a van with all of our supplies and we just took a tour around Northeast Iowa. And I think we hit like six little towns up there, um, just delivering med, drawing blood on, on porch steps, things like that. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of the, the work that you are doing. Before we transition to the back half of the podcast, uh, where we ask two of our uh, fan favorite questions, uh, are there any other things that people should know about uh, migrant health, migrant workers here in Iowa? So yeah, I would say that here in Iowa, there are something like 80,000 um, migrant workers that come through Iowa every year. And that number is, I had no idea before I started working with Proteus. Um, you know, there are so many more migrant workers here than any, than so many people realize. Um, it is a really big part of our economy. It's a really big part of our, our community and our culture. Um, and so I think it's important that people recognize how big of a part that migrant workers play and how their work is what keeps us fed. You know, as I mentioned before, um, three quarters of the entire agricultural labor force are immigrants. Um, and 50% of the labor force are also undocumented. And so there are a lot of challenges that um, come with being a migrant worker. Um, and yet they have one of the most essential jobs that I can think of. Um, keeping the country fed. And so I think I'm very thankful um, for the work that our patients and clients do. Um, and I feel really lucky that I've been able to witness the work that they're doing and understand better um, how their labor fits into food systems and how um, you know our grocery stores are kept stocked and full because of their work. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. We're now going to move into the back half of this uh, of this podcast. So the first I want to question uh, is, what is one thing that you thought you knew, but later realized that you were wrong about? Um, so I thought that working from home would be really fun um, <laughs> and that I would love it. <laughs> 
you know, most of us at Proteus are working remotely since um, a lot of the non-clinical stuff can be done from home. It's pretty work from home friendly. You know, I, I thought it would be like a staycation, which I've been needing for a while. I was supposed to go on vacation um, abroad in March, but that trip got canceled. Um, and so I was kind of looking forward to making it up to myself by hanging out at home, sitting on the couch all day. And it just was not conducive or productive at all. Um, and so, yeah, I am glad that things are starting to kind of pick up for me because I, I am actually forced to be in the office most days. And um, it allows me to separate, you know, keep the work-life balance a lot better than before. Yeah, definitely. Have you like found anything um like new hobbies or activities to stay sane during this quarantine? I have, yeah. Um, so I really like to cook, um, and I have always kind of done that, but lately my cooking has kind of taken more of a focus on foraged foods. Ooh. So um, my partner is a big biker, so he and I will go biking to, I don't know, random heavy, heavily forested areas within the Crandic and um, hunt for morels, rams, nettles, stuff like that. And it's been really fun to figure out how to find that stuff, where, how I can cook it, etc. But I haven't been super successful with morels yet. So um, yeah, hopefully soon we'll find more. Yeah, good luck. My, uh, my wife brought home some and made a just absolutely wonderful flatbread. And I was, it was my first time ever having fresh morels and so so jealous they're delicious yeah well thank you so much for coming on the pod um where can people learn more about proteus and your mission yeah so we're on facebook um proteus inc but yeah facebook is really active we post a lot about the work that we're doing about the campaigns that we're running and just like migrant agricultural worker related news so facebook is a great place to see Great. Well, we'll throw a link to your Facebook in our show notes. Otherwise, thank you so much for coming on the pod today. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. So, Emma, what do you think about the interview? I learned so much from this interview. I wasn't aware of the large-scale impact these migrant workers play in our society. Making up three-fourths of our labor force regarding food supply is very significant and just highlights the crucial role they play. And like Brianna said, countless items have either corn or soy in them. We really just owe so much to these migrant workers and all they do for us. And I was also under, unaware of what wonderful things Proteus does. They really just go above and beyond to provide crucial health care and assistance to these migrant workers who under normal circumstances wouldn't have the means to these services. Like when she was saying that they drive to the individual's homes and provide medicine and they even take blood samples, like that's just amazing. Or hosting the mobile clinics and laundry rooms at night, which is where and when they could reach a lot of these migrant workers. I just think Proteus deserves so much credit for what they do. It's truly amazing, and they are doing so much to help strengthen public health in the communities. So overall, I just thought it was a very insightful interview, and I learned a lot about the the significant role that these migrant workers play in our society. Yeah, and if you don't mind me pulling out a thread from that, you talked about, and Brianna talked about, 
how, you know, they had to travel to the migrants because, you know, a lot of them don't have cars. Iowa people, indulge me for a second because not all of our listenership is from around here, but there can be quite a huge dis- distance between, between you know, our, our cities and townships. And it's, it's kind of difficult to move. Sometimes our public transportation doesn't always go where people need to. And this is a very, very minor example from my own life, but I have to pick up a, um, a truck from Cedar Rapids because I'm moving this weekend. And getting there without a car is quite a challenge, you know, and if you don't know someone with a car, luckily enough, I do, um, you know, getting from place to place is incredibly difficult. And that's a major barrier because we are a rural state. Um, it is a major barrier to getting a lot of things that people need, especially healthcare. Um, one of the things that we're really coping with here in Iowa is how do we deliver healthcare in these rural areas that are maybe an hour from the nearest hospital. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, so they're providing these appointments for like 5 to $25, which is just significantly lower than what we would be having to pay in our normal appointments at the doctor's office. So they're really just going out of their way to be able to provide these healthcare services. Yeah, I think, I think you bring up a really good point that access to care is just so important. More, even especially now for our essential workers, is just all the more important that people have the access to care that they need at a price that they can afford. Thank you, you again to Brianna Rehaw-Klinsky. If you are interested in learning more about meatpacking plants, specifically in this pandemic, our friends at Share Public Health released an episode about meatpacking plants, and it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, yeah, I would definitely check that out. Share Public Health has created quite a few good podcasts, and yeah. Otherwise, we are out of here. You can find us on Facebook at the University of Iowa College of Public Health. We're on iTunes and Spotify as well as the University of Iowa College of Public Health. Let us know what you thought about this episode and series at cphgradambassador at uiowa.edu. That's cph-gradambassador at uiowa.edu. This episode of From the Front Row was hosted by Emma Metter and Ian Bukta. It was edited and produced by Ian Bukta. And thank you again to our guest, Brianna Rehaw-Klinsky, for coming on the pod this week. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Iowa College of Public Health. See you next week, everybody. Stay safe.